Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to the Best Damn Camp, a Rodenverse read-along and analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome to the show. To start, just to announce because I feel it is possible that you guys may hear this, I have both a fan on, water and an ice lolly that I'm eating because it is so freaking hot in the UK at the moment um, and I have an allergy to heat so I am literally dying in this this heat so um, <laughs> yeah this is this is fun for me so um, basically just letting you guys know about this because you're probably gonna hear it in the background but I don't care because I need it but I thought I would let you guys know just so you aren't confused as to what that noise is if you can hear it. I don't know if you will be able to, but I thought I'd say anyway. Now, to get to the main part. Today we are continuing our timeline journey with the Titan's Curse. Chapter 5, I place an underwater phone call. And Chapter 6, an old dead friend comes to visit. As always, I have my points to focus on. And at the moment, for the Titan's Curse, they just seem to be character's story and generally what I thought of it. But... To begin, here's the synopsis. The return to camp isn't easy, and with rivalries abound, the loss of Annabeth felt, and nightmares reaching the surface, all is not well for our heroes. Then, of course, a not-so-friendly game ends with unfriendlier with... No, hold on. Ends even unfriendlier with a fight and a foreboding prophecy. The plot doth thicken. And that's pretty much the synopsis for these two chapters. Um, I don't think there's really anything else to say about this, but these like there's stuff that happens in these chapters, but it's it's becoming a sort of slightly recurring theme in that things happen, and like the plot is thickening. But th- these chapters are really just leading up to this the beginning of the plot, um, and it gives the insight of to what the plot is going to be. So, like, it has these moments, but the rest of the chapter itself, these chapters themselves, just feel a bit eh. And you'll see what I mean when I start with, of course, chapter 5, I place an underwater phone call. And the overview for this chapter is as such. Grover is a stalker. Brilliant. I really want to see this orientation film. Can can we get that in the in the live action, please? Dionysus needs an arc and fast. And Percy really needs a brain. Thank you, interrupting Nico. You are a literal lifesaver. Percy is admitting his faults. Fabulous. Uh, but then, of course, he makes a worse one. Great. <laughs> with a check-in with Tyson, all seems well until a nightmare about Annabeth's fate ruins everything. 
and that's pretty much the overview for chapter five and there's not like too much character wise that really happens in this it's all really just story and everything that happens in the lead up like the, the, the Annabeth nightmare and uncovering her fate and all these sort of things is actually in the last two and a half pages of this chapter everything else is just kind of unconsequential there's nothing really important that happens it's all just kind of awkward especially the grover being a stalker bit and obsessed with the hunters it's kind of making me uncomfortable and it doesn't get any better um but yeah literally the only thing of importance in this chapter is the annabeth plot line basically and that is percy having a nightmare basically seeing what's happening to Annabeth and where she's gone and the fact that she's still alive clearly because these dreams are real which I still kind of don't get how these dreams work but plot convenience I guess I don't know um but what's happening with Annabeth is really interesting she's been taken to a sort of shadowy place Lion King reference oops um and stumbles across Luke who is like being held down by something that's struggling is sweat covered looks really sick and like he's dying basically and even though annabeth obviously knows not to trust him he's still the guy who practically half raised her saved her life on multiple occasions and he is in pain and needs her help and annabeth is a good girl and is a lovely human being and does and guess what happens luke is a douche is all I can say. Um, I guess that's technically a swear. Oh well. Um, initially, his whole thing is that she's suddenly holding whatever. Percy can't tell what it is, but it looks like a bunch of rocks. Like she's under a collapsing cave or something like that. And Luke leaves her to seemingly die. She's bearing this weight, and is strong enough to bear it seemingly in comparison to Luke, who is struggling. But he leaves her telling, you know, your your saviour will come and help you soon. In the meantime, try not to die. And that's how it ends. And my God. That's so messed up. <laughs> this is, And I kind of get where people come from when they talk about they don't understand how Annabeth can still speak up for Luke in a sense. Because everything that he's done, like he has tried to kill them on multiple occasions and it's now trying to kill her now but at the same time I can understand also where she's coming from because he is the guy who helped save her life as a child and has been a, a brother and a best friend and a first crush and all these sort of things like he's so many different things to her and she wants him to go back to the person that she remembers like when you desperately want something you're gonna try and see it even when you know it, you shouldn't be trying and that it's not there so I understand completely where she's coming from, but oh my god, he just keeps confirming it again and again, and I hate it so much. And this just cemented in my mind just that Luke is irredeemable. Like, he is he is such a horrible human being. He literally, there's the chance that she, she... Firstly, she's younger than him, and she's bearing whatever he's given her, and he was struggling, and she's... I don't know the age difference actually like maybe five years difference something like that and he's like yeah no just you know don't die because that'll ruin my plans so I'm like screw you man like 
If you are literally only just about to bear this, how can you expect her to? And this this aspect of this chapter is what is driving this plot, as we learn in the next chapter as well. There is something that this story is of importance to, and this, this image is of importance to. We don't truly learn what it is, but we learn that there is a connection between what is happening to Annabeth and what, as we find out in the next chapter, is happening with Artemis. And it's well, it's it's pretty intense, but literally, other than that, this chapter has not really much else, other than, like, Percy does apologise for, you know, him messing up at, at the boarding school, which I'm glad that he did. Although he then did make things worse by making a comment towards Talia in relation to her alcoholic mother who died in a car crash because she was drink driving and he makes a I know that he's a kid with ADHD and dyslexia and stuff like that but like the understanding of you know empathy and sympathy and touchy subjects is is it should be slightly well known at least because he makes a quite insensitive comment about oh I guess that makes sense as to everything with the chariot you know you were thinking about your mum dying in a car I'm like oh my god and like he knows it was the wrong thing to say I know a thing like that is that it's difficult to stop what 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 you're thinking and saying it sometimes it just happens but at the same time like dude you didn't even say sorry <laughs> like there's no apology either and I know she just storm off but you 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 try wouldn't you but I don't know all of that was just a bit ugh, uncomfortable, clunky, especially considering it came not long after the whole Grover situation and all these different things. And the Grover thing really does make me uncomfortable so much so. And you guys will get it as we move into chapter six. An old dead friend comes to visit. And here is the overview of that chapter. Seriously, why is Grover a stalker? The reality that Annabeth and Artemis are connected in many ways is revealed. Percy speaks to the Oracle, but nothing happens. Then the capture of the flag game arrives. Percy, not really having learned his lesson, leads to the loss. A could-be-life-threatening fight occurs, but is interrupted by the walking mummy. A prophecy is given. Expletive, expletive. <laughs> and um, that's pretty much the summary of... of chapter six like there is this is we had like a very plot based element in the previous chapter and we have a few bits of that in this one other than the prophecy and the mentioning of zoe's dream to do with artemis being lost um nothing else of significance really happens and i just i'm get, i'm kind of get i i really love the books i love rick's writing but the fact that so many insignificant things happen in these stories when we could be getting into the story itself really does frustrate me considering like how small the books are themselves you'd think maybe you try and get into it a little bit more and focus more on the actual story itself for a longer period of time and not sort of non-consequential aspects but I don't know I don't know, there's just... I get, like, the whole leaning up to it and not wanting to get straight into the plot. That totally makes sense, but... Literally, it just... 
it just feels like every so often it just takes quite a bit of time and it, there's always some extra things going on alongside it like the importance of adding like the Percy and Talia drama is definitely a big thing the Grover being a stalker to get information is really peeving me off because he camped outside of the Hunters of Artemis cabin saw Zoe leave so stalked her hid in a bush and overheard everything she said for plot convenience completely but even though Percy calls him out for it in a line of saying you're, you're a stalker it's kind of played off as a joke and not really kind of dug into enough like that and that that element of that whole discussion is taking place alongside the narrative of satyrs chasing nymphs who are letting them chase them and then turning into like trees or plants or whatever to allow them to hit into it because it's like a kissy chase game which is just it's so creepy to ah i just i know it's at least the nymphs and satyr thing is very much like a mythology based aspect first why did we need it we did not need that pack element it added so much unnecessary information that literally had no connection to what they were saying or the story or the character moment there's no point to it it was just like padding it was just padding to the story to lengthen out that chapter pages there was no reason for it at all same with the whole Grover stalking thing. I just, I'm, I know many people won't see it as an issue or, or think I'm making a big thing of it, but it's just, it's really kind of uncomfortable. Like, the way in which it's shown is in a really jokey light. And I'm like, no, he's literally sleeping. And someone who is, yeah, he's, he looks probably about 15, 16, but in Satie years is actually 26. Um, or around that, sleeping outside of the cabin of immortals, yes, so some of them will be hundreds if not thousands of years old, but of girls who probably look no more older than 16 themselves. And it just gets a little bit weird. And admittedly, the whole thing in these two chapters thus far in relation to the hunters, the utter dislike and hatred from the hunters from Camp Half-Blood themselves makes no sense like we've got no connection as to why that's the case and of course we then find out it's because they've won every single capture the flag game but like seriously I just don't understand the backdrop I'm just I'm really not a fan of these two chapters and considering this is my favourite book I've never really kind of noticed that the because I'm not obviously looking at the deep level that I am now, but I haven't really noticed these things before. I've noticed the dislike for the hunters, and like I thought it was just like a competitive jealousy. But if this has been the case for like a century, probably like since the creation of Camp Halfblood and the hunters being and going there, if it said I think Chiron said it's their fifty-sixth win, and they're not there every year, so like that's dotted throughout time. It's just so weird to me I just don't understand it and it's not really explained properly like the hunters seem to dislike them as well the camp camp half blood seem to dislike them in return 
but we don't ever get an explanation as to why. I just don't get it. I can un- no, I can't understand it at all. Again, in terms of like mythology-wise, the hunters and Artemis, they, they kind of weren't meant to be seen by mortals as a whole. Um, particularly male mortals, which I guess Camp Half-Blood obviously has men there. But that wouldn't lead to dislike. I don't- I wish that was explained more if they were going to show it, because it keeps cropping up on a regular occasion. It's then not brought up in, a, in future books. It's, it's never brought up why there is a dislike between hunters and Camp Half-Blood. Like, it's there sometimes, gone another. It's just really weird. And I do wish it was explained because it just seems like unnecessary conflict to have conflict. Which I'm not here for. But I'm focusing on the things that I wasn't going to focus on but I've kind of gone off on a tangent now so it's happened the thing that I wanted to focus on at the moment is Percy <laughs> and god my I love Percy is a really interesting character I, I'm not trying to say that I don't think he is but I am finding him really frustrating at the moment because his character arcs continuously seem to be getting reset with each new book which is frustrating me he doesn't seem to learn his lessons at all. Like, at the start of this book, he he makes a mistake. And yet it's one that did, in a sense, save Nico and Bianca, but also led to further consequences as well. And, like, he knows that he, he made a mistake, hence his apology in the previous chapter. But then again, he's not listening to Talia. He's then undermining Talia, in a sense. And it, this is mainly shown in the Capture the Flag fight, where he goes head on into everything believing he can win and like be a victor and a hero for it even though it's he's not really thinking it out he's just like oh there aren't people in this center bit if i run it'll be fine i'm like but you've specifically been put on defense like you are a good defender like he is he is a good defender like his whole thing is that he is really good at yeah flirting back but also defending himself and others it's a big thing it's a big thing of his trait his trait is loyalty and loyalty in a sense also has that protector aspect but he seems to constantly be turning away from that yeah he wanted to protect nico and bianca and that kind of came out ahead for that but also protection also comes in numbers in a sense as well and he does seem to have quite a lot of a lone wolf sort of element. He doesn't seem to work well in teams the majority of the time, which is really weird. Considering the first book, he was really good at working in a team, and second book a little bit as well. But like in the second book, it was intermittent. This one, so far, he hasn't been working as a team with anyone. He's been going full lone wolf. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm really coming to dislike this trait of his of like him bi I think that was a dog um, him going head on into everything sort of trying to be the hero it is a seemingly common occurrence now of him putting himself up for these things because he believes that it's sort of his job it's what he should be doing and I'm really starting to dislike it because we got that in Sea of Monsters and I wasn't a fan of it like his treatment for Clarice. Yes, Clarice isn't a great person, but his treatment, believing that this quest should be his, that it's his job, 
and then he undermines her in that quest. In this case, Tali has taken the lead because Tali actually knows what she's doing as well. Her guidance for everyone was fantastic. She knew exactly what to say, she knew exactly how to guide people, even Percy admitted it, and he didn't fully know what to add onto the back of it. He had a few good defensive things, which again is why she probably picked him for defence as well. Because he is good at defence. He had really good defensive advice. But when she then said, okay, everyone stick to what we're doing and it'll be fine and we'll win. Um, I can't remember exactly the bit, but basically Percy then undermines her saying, yeah, do that unless you see an opportunity. And then she's like, no, 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 don't stick to your post, stick to what you are doing. And then he says again, unless you see an opportunity, she's like, Percy. And I, I get that because you don't go and be a hero in those situations because that's not what a team does if you work with the strategy the only reason why you should really be breaking off isn't to see an opportunity to win something it's if something goes wrong you would then have to fix it but in this uh, yeah i kind of get where she was coming from i get where he's coming from as well but in his case the main reason he was thinking of that is probably because he was going to do the the thing that he actually ends up doing was taking that opportunity for a victory that would be on his hands and he would be the winner for it and like we do we saw the situation literally a moment before in a way wait no that doesn't make sense i think it's just frustrating that he's seen what happens when he goes solo before literally only a few chapters before and yet he does it again with no backup, with no support, by not getting anyone to take his post. Because the whole thing is they've only got three people now guarding the flag. And they're the ones. So they've got Nico. So I, I won't even count Nico. Nico doesn't know what he's doing. So they've got two people. Two of them who aren't really fighters. They're, they're builders, they're makers, they're tinkerers. They can fight, obviously, but that's like their, that's not their main thing. Percy is the fighter and the defender and he's left them to it and it's just it's it's a very similar situation and considering previous chapter he apologises to Talia puts his foot in his mouth then he works with her but then he undermines her again and then does his own thing again which leads to the drama of them losing again like from the sounds of it it seems like they would have won if percy had stuck to the goal uh, stuck to the plan i mean because talia was got there she got there and then saw the flag was gone so it was perfectly under control but percy didn't trust or believe in her enough to trust in what she was doing he saw his own golden opportunity technically for himself and went for it and it's becoming a very common thing and I'm really getting tired of it. I I can't remember again much of what does happen in Titan's Quest but I really do hope that that doesn't keep happening because if it does I'm going to be really really peeved because Percy had such a fantastic character arc in The Lightning Thief and eventually also in The Sea of Monsters even if it was a small one but so far he's reverted back he's not seemingly growing he, he, he's apologised then gone back to the exact same habit he's 
being belligerent and angry towards the Hunters of Artemis, which is probably what fuels his actions because he found out that Annabeth was considering joining the Hunters and then for some reason was angry at the Hunters because they gave her a recruitment pamphlet, which... What? Like... I get the whole not being able to be angry at Annabeth because that's mean, but it's like he's just trying to find any reason to not like the Hunters, and I just don't understand it. But everything else is just... I don't understand what's going on with him. I think that's the majority of the problem. A lot of what he's doing doesn't make sense. And it ties slightly into what I was saying with the first couple of chapters, where I think it's that he feels... Uh, nudged out by Talia because she is the daughter of Zeus she has more experience, she's got more skill than him and he's feeling nudged out by her and is so, in a sense retaliating because of that because he can he he can do this because like I am the son of Poseidon I, I can be the hero I can do this, I can do that and maybe I'm being a bit too harsh on him. Probably I am because that's the kind of person that I am. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. It's just something that's just kind of really frustrating me about him at the moment. I've gone on way too long just saying that it's frustrating me. But um, these two chapter-wise, other than that plot moment with Annabeth and to do with Artemis, and then obviously, of course, the prophecy, which is very dramatic and very interesting as to what the plot here is going to be, nothing else really happens there's, there's too many frustrating things that are going on here for me for my liking but um i'm intrigued to see how it's going to continue if percy's going to change um how his and Tanya's relationship is going to work and yeah it's, it's an interesting setup for what's to come um but what i want to know for the question of the episode to you guys is how do you feel about percy's initial actions in the titan's curse do you feel he is justified in them or do you think he is just being a little bit too much whatever the case obviously of course comment on the instagram post that will be going up or email me your thoughts and speaking of emailing me of your thoughts i have an email from joseph uh to do with last week's question of the episode and also last week's episode um and it, I thought I'd read it out. Joseph, I hope it's okay that I am reading it out. Because um, it was a really interesting, really interesting email. So thank you for sending that in. And this is the first email I've gotten in a while. So it was lovely. Um, Joseph says, Hello Fran, I've listened to your most recent podcast of The Best Damn Camp and I respectfully disagree with some of the ideas you brought up about chapters 3 and 4 of The Titan's Curse. I respect your respectfully disagreement because I love discussion and debate. Firstly, you made the argument that Talia was right in chewing out Percy for following Dr. Thorne, alo bleh, Dr. Thorne alone and was responsible for Annabeth falling off the cliff. To clarify, I don't think I said he was fully responsible, but I feel that his actions further led up to that. Now, I think Percy was right in confronting Dr. Thorne immediately instead of taking time to get Talia and Grover, because the immediate danger was that Bianca and Nico were alone with a monster. His motivation, however, is completely wrong and frankly immature, and you're right about that. Thank you. And I do agree with that. Like, I, I understand why he went for them and kind of didn't contact the, the others. But considering also he does later on 
try to use the empathy thing link you think he would have done that when he was immediately heading out in some form if he thought that would work but yeah the issue of uh, he continues uh, uh sorry um joseph continues apologies if uh, i misgendered you um the issue of annabeth falling off the cliff being somehow percy's fault however seems completely ignorant to annabeth's decisions i think it's 100 percent her actions that led to where she ends up she was one that recognizes that the hunters have arrived after they fire their first barrage of arrows and then she jumps on the manticore's back knowing full well there is no purpose in continuing to fight it when there's a whole brigade of archers to take care of it Percy decided to take the manticore alone had little to no effect on Annabeth's decision to jump the manticore when they already had backup. That I completely get, although from what I remember the manticore was heading towards Talia and Percy and that's why she jumped on his back. Well, I may be wrong because it's been a while now since I read those chapters. But I see what you mean. I think my thinking instead, and I probably didn't word it correctly so I apologise for that, is more that everything that Percy done to that did up until that moment in a sense led to this situation that they were all in like if he hadn't gone off on his own for those bad reasons and led to them being up at the cliff it probably wouldn't have gone down the way in which it did but i probably didn't explain that correctly so my bad uh <laughs> Uh, Joseph then continues, next you talk about Bianca's decision. This is a controversial topic in the fandom. Oh, trust me, I know, I got so much hate for a video that I did about it. I think the main issue is how she made the decision, and I completely agree. She didn't tell Nico she was considering it, and she's pretty much all Nico really has at this point. It was written differently, where she, perhaps she had joined the camp, like you suggested, especially when she sees the Hermes cabin she's going to be stuck in. I think it would sit better with the fandom. Thank you all for the amazing content you create. I wish no hate or ill intent. I just wrote this to say I respectfully disagree with you. Keep up the amazing work. And I truly do appreciate that, Joseph. I, I totally get where you're coming from. And I get what you mean with Bianca as well. I really wasn't happy with it in general. The way I think of it is that she is still a child who has been given the complete and utter responsibilities of a grown adult. And once given the opportunity to have her own life just kind of took it up and that i completely get if i was in her exact same situation knowing also that percy and all these others there are going to be with her brother i would take it up as well like kind of no questioning in a sense because that's my own life i'm finally going to get so i get that and also it's kind of brought up here as well and i really hate I'm, st I'm still disliking Percy's indignant attitude towards it. I get it because this whole loyalty thing, but also like, come on, man. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. But thank you, Joseph, so much for your email. I really do appreciate it. And for anyone who wants to answer today's question about Percy's attitude and how you feel about it, I would love to hear from you, whether it be email, instagram twitter whatever and in relation to that i want to thank you all for joining me today for chapters five and six be sure to join me next wednesday as we continue our riordanverse journey to plug where you can find our podcast we are available on spotify apple podcast audio boom stitcher and deezer in the meantime between episodes you can find the best damn camp on various social media at best damn camp pod on instagram and twitter if you want to email me with your own thoughts, you can email thebestdowncamp at hotmail.com and I will read it out at the end of the show. 
If you want to support me making this content, check me out on Patreon at A Healthy Dose of Fran. And also check out my YouTube channel, A Healthy Dose of Fran, for more Percy Jackson content. And drop me a follow at A Healthy Dose of Fran on Instagram and at A Dose of Fran on Twitter. Again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter. And I will see, slash speak to you guys next time. Bye.